Our scripture reading today is uh, the beginning of Luke chapter 14 as we continue through the book of Luke. Uh, We'll be looking at the first 24 verses in Luke. And uh, so I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, One announcement I did forget to make, but always seems appropriate at the beginning of the sermon to let you know. Uh, New Life Community will not be worshiping uh, here in the facility after us. So uh, around 1020, there's no need to start sweating for any of us. Maybe around 1120, you can start sweating, but not at 1020. So uh, here's God's word. This is from Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he, was, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of, a, of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he, asked, and he said to them, Which of you, having a son... Or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet he sent his servant To say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. 
And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So we come to a passage like this one. And you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I'd invite Jesus over for dinner. Uh, I mean, after all, consider like every one of these conversations took place at this dinner. And so what you have here is first, Jesus picks a fight with the host's colleagues, like his co-workers, his, his closest friends. Then Jesus insults the guests, just in general. And then Jesus insults the host. And then one particular guest stands up and tries to offer a toast, and Jesus shuts him down. And you just kind of think, man, Jesus was having a bad day that day. But... uh, You know, Jesus, though he is like us in all human ways, he is not like us in any sinful ways. And so while this sounds eerily like something I would do if I showed up at a party and just kind of felt like, I don't know, bitter about life or about things, I can see myself... Sometimes I go to outings in the, in, the, in the past few months and realize I need to keep my mouth shut today because I'm not in a mood to interact with any human. And, uh, but that's not Jesus. And we could, we could totally focus on that and then miss why Jesus is acting like this because Jesus is never just rude for the sake of being rude. Jesus is always rude for the sake of convicting us, for the sake of showing us who we really are, showing us our sin, showing us uh, what's wrong with our focus. Jesus seeks to expose uh, the self-centeredness of everyone at this dinner. But again, it's important not to just leave it there because, again, it would, it would feel like, oh, that's fun. Let's, let's join Jesus in pointing out how self-centered all those people there were. But the Holy Spirit has this recorded in Scripture so that you and I see ourselves at this dinner. So that we see our own self-centeredness. And, and allow Jesus to confront us in that self-centeredness. Jesus confronts, uh, in the first passage, he confronts self-righteousness. And then in the second paragraph, he confronts self-importance. And then he confronts self-promotion and self-reliance. In all of these, like there's one lie that we believe, and it just gets applied to different places. 
But in all of these, the lie we believe is, I am better than you. I am better than you. When it's self-righteousness, the you is them, those sinners. You know, whoever that category is for you, those people, you know how they are. You know what they are like. And uh, I, you know, we'll get to a passage in Luke where the, the Pharisee stands and prays and says, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not like those people. And how many times do we feign humility when actually we just, we're just self-righteous? I'm better than those people. I'm better than sinners. We're told that Jesus goes to dine at the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees where they were watching him carefully. Now, I, this is not them uh, pulling out their WWJD bracelets. They're not watching Jesus carefully to learn how they ought to live and how they ought to treat others. They have the WCWCJDT bracelet. What can we catch Jesus doing today? And yeah, I, I wrote it out so that it would sound like more flippingly, but... It got the effect. He laughed, so. What can we catch Jesus doing? They invite him to dinner, but it's not a true invitation. I mean, they're not, it's not true hospitality. They want to catch Jesus. Like, they're all there to see what he'll do. And wonder of wonders, uh, the word is behold, or and look, who would have thought a man with dropsy right before Jesus on the Sabbath day. There, he's over for the Sabbath dinner, the, the large meal after worship on the Sabbath. And here's this guy. Just happened to be there. He has edema. It's, a, uh, it's still an issue today. Poor circulation causes fluid to gather and, and pool the areas and extremities of the body, and, and it can become very painful. And in those days, it was viewed as, oh, you have edema. Oh, you must be a real special kind of sinner. Like this struggle, this pain, this hurt, what you're going through obviously is a sign that God is displeased with you. Aren't you glad we don't do that to each other anymore? Like things that we go through, things that you're facing, physical, spiritual, emotional, uh, we don't ever say to each other or say about each other, well, I mean, are you really surprised? I mean, that's what they're doing with this guy. It's, he's here He's not here because he's an invited guest. He's here because they want to make a spectacle of him. And Jesus is so tired of how self-righteousness causes you to just really hate your brothers and sisters. Like He just asks a simple question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they can't answer him. Or they won't answer him. And I love that, like, he just doesn't, 
It just, he just acts. It says, So he took him and healed him and sent him away. He took him and healed him and sent him away. Not the point of the passage, but I will point out, Jesus takes care of this man's physical needs and sends him on his way. I mean, he doesn't say to him, well, what you really need is me. No, he just takes care of his physical need and sends him on his way. We have no idea what happens to this guy. He leaves the dinner. He leaves the story. He's gone. Jesus sees him in need, heals his need, sends him on his way, and he's quite content with that. And then he turns to these others because this man is in bondage to his pain and his misery, but his host and his colleagues are in no less bondage to their sin and their self-righteousness. And he says, how many of you, like, if your son fell in a well, heck, if your, if your ox fell in a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you immediately free him? But that's what self-righteousness does. It says, no, God's goodness, God's mercy, that's for me and mine. It is not for them and theirs. A self-righteous heart uses the law to separate me from you. And so Jesus confronts self-righteousness. And maybe everyone's sitting there thinking, yeah, those Pharisees, it's about time they got theirs. I love this Jesus guy. But then Jesus watches the dinner unfold. And he watches a just kind of a cultural phenomenon, a custom that occurs. Uh, that at dinners like this, they would probably set up the couches in like a U-shape so that you can see each other. Uh, and at the head would be the host. He would be in the center of the central couch. And then you would kind of fan out from him in order of importance, like where you sat around the table. And so at the farthest position from the host would be like the least important person at the party. And so Jesus watches as, as people just kind of push and, and shove and try to, try to get to the good seats and get the important seats. And so then we're told that Jesus tells a parable, and it's important, it's important to recognize that it opens with Jesus told a parable. Otherwise, Jesus is giving like kind of shady and slimy advice on how to actually get recognized without looking like you want to get recognized. And that's not Jesus' MO usually. So he's not... Like, it sounds like he's saying, listen, don't take, don't take the good seats. If you want the good seat, here's how you get it. Take the bad seat and let them, let, like, then let the host move you up. And you could just say, oh, look, I'm so much more important than you. No, the, the whole point is it's a parable. While, yes, this might be something you can apply in life, the whole point is your approach to the host, to the actual host, to the true host, your approach to God is humility. And he says, you have two choices. Either choose humility or be humiliated. 
Because there is no place at the table for the proud. There is no place at the table for those who are like, hey, like, enough, you know, enough, enough about me. What do you think about me? Or, you know, you go to those, you go to those parties and, and finally someone apologizes and says, listen, I feel like I have dominated this conversation and just been talking about me. I really want to give you an opportunity to talk about me. Like this whole kind of self-importance, like, like what it, Jesus, like, what is this? This is like, and it's, it's in all of us. With the self-importance, I say, I'm better than you. And I'm just saying that to just about everyone in general. I'm better than you. I deserve a better seat. I deserve more recognition. The answer to self-importance isn't self-deprecation. As C.S. Lewis so wonderfully put it, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. It's not the false, oh, no, 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 that, that's not true, that can't be, oh, you're not talking about me, like that whole false humility thing. I did have a, a, a seminary professor say once, I would love to hear an honest pastor at the end of a sermon one Sunday, just once, as someone comes out and says, good, good sermon, Pat, preacher, or nice sermon, for the pastor to just say, look him dead in the eye and say, it was. <laughs> I mean, none of this, he's like, what do we do? Like, we're trained to be like, oh, no, that's, well, that's by God's grace. That's it's like, you're right, it was good. I worked really hard on this one. I put a lot of effort into it. Thank you for finally noticing. Like, humility isn't fakely saying, oh, no, I'm not any good at that. Humility is just not seeing yourself, just not paying attention, like, just seeing others, being in the conversation with the other to hear, not just waiting to talk. And I, I, I struggle with that. I like to talk. I like the sound of my own voice. You know, our gifts and our weaknesses are usually two sides of the same coin. It's a, it's a curse. I used to talk to my kids often at the table about when you're talking to your friends. Listen to them. Don't just wait to talk. Listen to your friends. Don't just wait to talk. And the irony is that, like, like, Ilona, in her younger days, was the, like, she was the worst offender of this. Like, she would just sit, and she'd look like she was listening so intently, but as soon as you took a breath, she took off, and she was off to the races, because she really didn't care what you were saying. She had something to say. But then as she got older... Like, I don't know that there is a friend of Alona's who wouldn't describe her as she really listened to me. She was always willing to just listen. She was so, and they would never say humble because you don't see a person's humility. You just see that they're really nice. 
they're really kind to you. They really listened to you. And we don't know what humble humility is, and so we don't know to describe people in that way. But so other-oriented, so self-forgetting, Jesus says, look, God will exalt you. Choose humility. You know, I'm sure the, the host was thinking, yes, finally. I'm so tired of people acting like this at my party. And then Jesus turns straight to the host. He says, by the way, when you throw a party, don't invite your relatives. Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your rich neighbors. And so one of the announcements I forgot to make is that none of you are invited to the 4th of July picnic. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, don't. That, that's like, that would be so ridiculous. No more family dinners. No more reunions. No, no. You can only hang out with people you've never, ever, 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 ever met. And then once you do, you can't hang out with them again because now you've met them. No, he's simply saying, what, what's your focus here? And the, the whole, it's interesting how even as Christians, as we raise up our kids and they're looking at the next steps of their journeys, like, we do this sometimes. We're like, hey, you need to serve. You need to do something good. It's going to look good on your college resume. It's going to look good on your application. You better have 16 things, acts of service, because they're looking for those things. And it's like, well, how about do these because your, your neighbor needs them, and it would be good whether it ever makes it to your resume or not. Jesus is like, don't. Don't do things just because of, oh, what's in it for me. Do it because there is a need. Serve others. Like the world says, it's all about pay it forward. You do something nice, something nice will happen to you. It's karma. Help those who can help you. Build your resume. Essentially, his self-promotion says, I'm better than you to just about anyone in need. Because self-promotion says, well, I've got, I got here on my own merits. I mean, if, you are, if you're not making it, it's probably because you're just lazy. Or God is punishing you, one or the other, maybe both. Jesus has helped those who cannot return the favor, who, who need it the most, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That's why we, we, we have the passage from Isaiah as our call to worship. Because this is Jesus comes in Luke 4. He goes, goes straight to the, to the synagogue and he, sa- he reads that passage from Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the broken, to free the captives, to release the prisoners. This passage has been fulfilled today in your presence. It's great. Jesus says, care for the poor, care for the blind, the lame, the needy, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, at the resurrection of the righteous. Literally, the resurrection of the righteous, the upright, the fair. Jesus says that caring for the needy, caring for those 
in need, the poor, the blind, the lame, the cripple, is not about mercy. It's about righteousness. It's about fairness. You caring for others is just. Treating people with dignity and value and worth simply because they're made in God's image. We have this odd notion that like we've somehow done it ourselves. Like the this idea that, you know, I you know, I picked myself up. I made the most of every opportunity I had. I don't know why they don't. Um, my son-in-law, Liam, taught us this new card game called Capitalism. Have you heard of this game? I don't think it should be called Capitalism because it gives a bad name to Capitalism. But in this card game, every time I've played anyway, like the first hand sets the tone for the rest of the game. And it's not that the game changes ever, but after the first hand, first and second place receive a certain privilege, and third and fourth place uh, are kind of pooped upon. Is that allowed? Uh, anyway, they, they have a non-privilege, a curse. I don't know. Anyway, disadvantage. There you go. So the, the first two players have advantage, and the second two players have a disadvantage. And I have never played this card game yet where one of the second, where the third or fourth player ever rise above third or fourth. Sometimes they'll switch places, first and second switch places. But once the privilege is set in motion, the game doesn't change. And so... That's why I don't like it being called capitalism. I'm like, what, did some Marxist invent the name of this game? What is his problem? So anyway, I think it should just be called privilege or, uh, I don't know, anything like the haves and the have-nots. But, but the whole point of it is pretty incredible if you're willing to recognize that, like, oh, you know, this is reality. Like the advantages that some people have, it doesn't mean they're not hardworking. It doesn't mean they're not wise in taking advantage of those advantages, but they're advantages. There are things. There are things that are in place to support. And, and there are families. There are generations who are just handed the disadvantaged cards generation after generation after generation and we look at them and say, well, they should have just worked harder. That's all I did. It's like, what? No. Yes, of course you worked hard, and no one would, no one would claim otherwise. But there are many reasons for the disadvantaged. And it isn't, it isn't you being magnanimous. It's you being just and righteous in caring for those who are poor or crippled or blind or lame. I am not better than my brother or sister. 
And then finally, self-reliant or self-governing or self-sufficient. In this one, basically, the point is, I am better than you, God. In those days, invitations went out in two parts. And we still do this sort of. We do the whole save the date. Um, But the save the date then was a little bit more of a commitment. It was actually you would RSVP that, yes, you were coming to the party. So you'd get the invitation. You'd say, yes, I'm coming because it was a big deal. They had to know how how much food to prepare. And this wasn't a small endeavor. And usually whole towns were invited to these feasts. And then on the day, the servant would be sent out to tell everyone, to to finalize the invitation, to say, hey, it's ready, come. And we're told that all alike began to make their excuses. All alike began to say, "I, I cannot come. I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. I have married a wife. I cannot come. Commentaries go back and forth as to whether these are legitimate excuses or illegitimate excuses. Um, It doesn't matter entirely. They're legitimate in each of their eyes. Uh, there's, there's some, you wonder about the realness, at least of the first two. I bought, I bought a field and I must go see it. You, you bought a field sight unseen? Like even then, people knew better than that. And I'm not talking about like Marines who are like, oh, I'm moving there. Tell a friend, buy me a house. Okay, here we go. Like, I'm talking about, like, normal, everyday occurrences where there's a field for sale, and you bought it, and you haven't even looked at it yet. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call bogus on that one. I don't think that's true. Five yoke of oxen. First of all, what kind of humble brag is that? Well, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I must go look at them. Well, la-di-da, five yoke of oxen. And again, who would do that? You wouldn't buy one yoke of oxen without seeing them first, without, because a yoke is a pair. So two oxen, do they work well together? Are they both well-fed? Are they equally strong or equally weak? Both would be fine. You can't have them unequal, though. And you bought 10 of these things, and you've never even seen them? Again, not sure I believe you. And I didn't even know what I just got married, I can't come means. Like, I know, mean, like they go back to like, well, in Deuteronomy, you'd get married and you weren't, you didn't have any obligations for a year. You know, you weren't allowed to go into war for a year. It's like, what the, this isn't a war. This is a banquet. This is like a, your bride would like this. Like when we first moved to Stafford and a couple of Marine officers asked me over lunch, they said, hey, we're going to the Marine ball. Would you and Amy like to go? And I just thought, I mean, I'll ask her. Probably not. Because I just thought, well, I mean, I don't know. That would be awkward. I'm not a Marine, as everyone knows from last week's sermon. But <clears throat> so I go home, and I'm like, oh, hey, uh, these guys, they wanted to know 
there's like a marine ball every November and they're going and they want to know if we wanted to go. And like she stopped everything she was doing. She's like, what? Did you say yes? And I was like, uh, no. I said I would ask you and figured you wouldn't want to go. She said, a ball? <laughs> a ball. They have a ball once a year. A ball. I said, yeah. She's like, and a ball is a ball, right? Like, is this isn't marine code for something else? I was like, nope. She's like, I would have to buy a dress. I was like, yeah. She's like, uh, yes. <laughs> like, what do you do? You, you go home and, oh, I was invited to this banquet, this feast that's happening. Oh, but honey, I'm sure you're not interested. Tell them I can't come. I don't even understand this last excuse. But the whole point of these excuses is, one is like, I've got this concern for a future wealth. I've got to take care of myself. I can't come to the feast. One is, I've got everything I want now. Five yoke of oxen. I have finally arrived. I've got everything I need right here, right now. I can't come to your feast. And one is all about relationships. I mean, I would love to come, but I just don't know what it would do to my, you know, to my relationships. And suddenly we realize, oh, Jesus is really good at parables. You know, is it, isn't, isn't it Keith Green who sings the song, What Would It Take to Keep You from Jesus? And I know he sang the song like 20 years, 40 years before most of you were born. But, you know, our self-righteousness, I'm just, I'm good enough. Our self, our self-promoting, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move myself, I'm going to make sure Jesus sees how good I am. Our, our self-importance, our, our self-reliance, I got this, I don't need to respond to this. It's interesting, it doesn't show up in our... ESV, but the last words of that parable aren't the words on the master's lips. They're words from Jesus to the party he's already at, because it's a plural. It says, for I tell you, and if it were on the master's lips, he'd be talking to the servant. It would be singular. He'd say, for I tell you, those folks aren't going to make it. No, it's Jesus, and he says, I'm telling y'all. None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's supposed to concern us. You're supposed to hear that and say, well, then who? And Jesus already said, well, the lame, the blind, the poor, the crippled, the lowest of the groups that you thought were at least slightly okay, and then out into the highways and the hedges and those outside. And he says, compel them to come, urge them. It's this, this idea behind the word is that of, of like taking someone by the hand and not like dragging them, kicking and screaming, but, but really like, no, you, you really want to come. You really, you really must come to this feast. 
Jesus is throwing a feast. And he's saying, come. Come. All of you, come. And maybe you're weighed down with self-righteousness. You're like, well, of course I'm coming. He says, no. You need my righteousness. Your righteousness is filthy rags. My righteousness counted for you. That's your ticket. He says, come. Isaiah 55, come. Everyone who thirsts, come. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come. Buy. Eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why, why would you spend money for that which is not bread and, and your labor for that, that which does not satisfy? Listen, diligent to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in this rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your souls may live. Don't let your self-importance, your pride, your, even your brokenness over your pride. Do you know that when we, when we disassociate ourselves from the table on our own account, by our own powers, when we say, I am not worthy yet, what you are saying is, I mean, it is a statement of the utmost pride. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but not mine. Really? Jesus says, come. Come, lay it down. Confess it. Know that I died for every self-righteous, self-promoting, self-important, self-reliant sinner on earth. I have died for you. Come. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We recognize that sometimes we read these passages and we only get half the story because like, it's, just, it's right in the middle of your whole gospel story. And we know that next week we'll be reminded there is a cost, of course. But part of that cost is simply dying to self. God, help us to die to ourselves. Forgive us for just how, how self-aware we are. Forgive us for how self-unaware we are of our own sin and pride. Jesus, would you feed us? and nourish us and restore us. We, we come to this table to be fed and also to, to just lay our anxieties and burdens and sins down and to be reminded you care about us. In Jesus' name, amen.